Well, we are uh, continuing this morning this series of, of these great I am statements that Jesus makes. And so if you'll pray with me, I'll dive in here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that this is the day that you truly have made. This is the day that you have ordained that every single one of us would be in this room. Mysteriously, supernaturally, before the beginning of time, you knew that every one of us would be here. And so that we, can, we know for sure that none of us is here by accident today. But every one of us is here because you want to speak to us. So I pray, Lord, that you would help me to faithfully proclaim your word. And I pray that no matter how we walked in these doors, encouraged or discouraged, decades in faith or brand new to figuring out what Christianity is all about, I pray that no matter what, you would give us open ears and open hearts. And that we would leave here today understanding more of who Jesus is, but more importantly, desiring to love and to serve him and desiring to love and to serve our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking at John 8, 12 today, and it's the second of the great I am proclamations that Jesus says. And this is what he says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is proclaiming himself to be the light. Now this light breaking into darkness theme runs throughout the entirety of the Bible, beginning in in the first opening verses of the Bible, and runs really throughout it. We see it over and over again. God promises that light will break into darkness. Where there's darkness, where there's chaos, where something's not clear, God promises to shine forth a light of salvation or to shine forth a light to guide his people. Light breaking into darkness is the promise of God. He is always going to provide a way forward to hope and salvation no matter what. And Jesus Christ today, we're going to unpack this a bit, but Jesus Christ is proclaiming himself to be that way forward to hope and salvation. But not only that, Jesus isn't just saying he's come to be the light to the world. He tells us what the result of him being the light is. And the result of him being the light is that if you follow him, this is an incredible promise, if you follow him, you will never walk in darkness. That means that God's light, his salvation, his hope, his presence will always be there with you. That you will never be alone, that you will never have a time of of darkness and not clarity where you feel like I have no way out. That God will always assure you of his love, his salvation. God will always provide a way. You will never walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. It's an incredible promise. It's not just this teaching about Jesus. It's a direct implication of that teaching to our lives. And it's a promise that Christ himself makes to everyone that follows him. So we see from Genesis onward, and and it can be difficult to see sometimes in our world, but really the broad theme that we see of light breaking into darkness, that is the governing reality of our world, of our lives, and of our future. Now sometimes it can be so easy to focus on the darkness and the chaos and wonder where God's at, but God promises that though this world's fallen, Though there's darkness in this world, though there's darkness in our own lives, that he will always break in. Light will always break in in the midst of it. And that promise is so sure that it should become a a governing reality for how we view everything. So it means if I get into a dark situation, I should know and say not, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But I should say, no, God promises he's not going to let me walk in darkness. God promises the light's going to break in. So my prayer is a confident one of God, let your light break in. Show me what I'm not seeing. Assure me of your love. Help me. That's God's promise. Jesus again says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the main idea we're going to look at today is that light breaks into darkness. And we're going to look at that in three parts. That light breaks into darkness in Christ. 
Light breaks into darkness through Christ into our own lives. And then the most amazing thing we're going to finish with is that God's light doesn't just break in on us through Jesus Christ, but God then uses us to be a source of light and to be the light that breaks in on the darkness of the world. So God's not just ever working in us. He's always working in us and working through us. And so we're going to look at what all this means today, starting first with Jesus is proclaiming to everyone that he himself is the light that shines in the darkness. He himself is that great light and the light of salvation that God has always promised. And so you can imagine the scene. This is the the last day of a week-long ceremony called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast of light. And every day, daily, they would light these giant lanterns and our lampstands, and they would light them up so bright that it was said in that day, probably exaggerated, but it was said in that day that that light could light all of Jerusalem. And so they're celebrating these times in their past that God has guided them in the midst of darkness. And in particular, they're focusing on the fact that when the Israelites were wandering in the desert at nighttime, what did God guide them with? A column of fire. Imagine what that would have been like. If if they ever wondered, is God really with us? In the midst of the night, God has a column of fire and he's showing them their way. He is literally lighting their dark path and helping them see. And so the Israelites in this Feast of Tabernacles, they're looking back to this time when God was doing this, when God was lighting their path, and they're recognizing that God's promise has been, no matter what, he would always light their way. And so for for a whole week, they're celebrating the ceremony about how they are going to have their way lighted up by God. And they're undoubtedly thinking of all the great prophecies about how how there's going to be light breaking into darkness. And at the end of this, on the last day of it, Jesus stands up and proclaims, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In essence, he's saying, you want light? You think these lights can light all of Jerusalem? I myself am breaking in on the darkness of this world to the extent that I can call myself the light of the world. That would have blown their minds. They would have immediately gone back. Imagine this. You know when you you watch a really good movie that's got a whole bunch of twists and turns and has some kind of surprise ending. And you see like some character revealed or sixth sense or something like that. Let's think of something more positive though. Um... And you're trying to figure out in your mind, like, how all the things added up to get you to this end. That's what would have happened. Jesus would have been there with thousands of people hearing him say, I am the light of the world at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles. And that would not have been lost on them. They would have been going back in their minds going, okay, the light is the column, which is the presence of God. The light is what Isaiah tells us is going to happen. The light is this, the light is that. And Jesus, this man that's standing in front of us, is proclaiming himself to be the light. How the heck does that all add up? What does that mean? See, the festival of tabernacles wasn't just about God being this light and wasn't just celebrating this column of fire. It was celebrating God's presence with his people in the wilderness. And it was celebrating a God who would always be with his people. He is the bread of life. God is the rock. God is the pillar of fire. All of that means is that God is always promising to be this guiding presence with his people. So they would have thought back to these verses that they knew of when God says, How did I guide you through the wilderness? I guided you through the wilderness like a loving father holding a baby in his arms. I was your guiding and your loving presence, and I was always with you, carrying you. And in turn, I want you to now show forth to the world what my life, what my light, what my love looks like. There's so many verses. I'm going to read you a couple of them from the, the, to get at this theme. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people. 
a light for the nations. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Isaiah 9, the people who walked in the darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. All of these things are pointing back into the entire history of Israel about how God has always been their guiding presence. But we also know that they're pointing forward to Jesus Christ being the culmination, to being the one that would become the great light, that would be the light shining in the darkness. We're going to look at that in a minute. But Jesus Christ fulfills all of these Old Testament promises about being the light of salvation and the light of God. Jesus is the light breaking into the darkness. And what God wants that to do for us as we read this today and as Jesus would have proclaimed to the original hearers, and as, the, as the, you know, John wrote it for the church, what he wants that to do is to think, each of us to think, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter how much darkness or chaos, no matter how good, how bad, no matter how up, how down, no matter what is going on in my life, the light is breaking in. The governing reality of my life is not my circumstances. The governing reality of my life is not my challenges. The governing reality of my life is not my sin. It's not my brokenness. The governing reality of my life is that light has broken into the darkness and the person and work of Jesus Christ. That light now breaks into my life and into my heart and comes with a promise that God will always be with me and will always guide me. What's our challenge though, right? Our challenge is that so often every day our circumstances loom larger. We just got back from a one-week vacation. I've got three boys, 13, 8, and 5. We went down to Los Angeles, went to, to Raging Waters in San Dimas there, uh, then went out camping on, on, on the island of Catalina. And this is what I've learned as a father, that, that I learned so much about my own heart and so much about my, my Heavenly Father's heart for me by my interactions with my kids. And so we're at Raging Waters and having fun, coming off great water slides, and the kids are saying stuff like, this is the most incredible vacation ever. You're the best dad ever, Right? Then, you know, they, they get an ice cream cone, and they're like, thank you so much for this ice cream cone. You are like the greatest dad. We are so grateful. You know where this is going, probably. Um, you know, but you find out very quickly that the best vacation ever, the best dad ever, the best day ever turns on a dime, right? One of my kids slips and falls and scrapes their knee, and it's like, this is the worst day ever. Gone are the memories of the ice cream. Gone are the memories of the water slides. Gone are the memories of the best dad ever. And the governing reality is, why did you even bring me here? <laughs> Didn't you know this would happen? So trying to walk through with the kids and think, okay, let's, let's just think about what the greater reality is. It's not just that. All the fun doesn't erase. Let's just kind of walk through the day. But that got me thinking while I was on vacation, that's so often how it works in my life. But isn't that the whole story of the Bible? In this very story that, we're, that Jesus is alluding to today, the column of fire, what's the column of fire doing? And the column of cloud by day, the column of fire by night, it is guiding God's people out of centuries of slavery through a sea that he miraculously parted, through a wilderness where he miraculously you know, supplied doves and supplied manna, bread from heaven. They're being guided day by day by day. They've seen this incredible supernatural power. They've seen God work in amazing ways. But when a few rough days get put together, what do they say to God? Why'd you even bring us out of Egypt? We want to go back. We had it so good there. Slavery's better than this. But again, it's not just kids. It's not just the Israelites wandering in the desert. Isn't it all of us? In my own life, I've seen that, right? 
there are things in our lives where I know the governing reality of my life is that God has been an incredibly faithful presence. I know that in my finances. I know that I've never gone hungry. I've never gone without a roof over my head. No matter what the financial challenges were ahead, no matter what season of life I was in, God has always provided. But what is my quick temptation as soon as there's some kind of financial challenge? Oh, God, why this? Certainly this is going to be the time that you don't come through. My immediate thought is how everything can, can crash and burn, and I don't go back to God's abiding presence. And I think about that for each and every one of us that's in here today. What in your life are you prepared to re reassess everything for, to reassess what the governing reality of your life is? What circumstance can get thrown into your life right now where you think like, oh my goodness, my whole life is lost. That gets your focus so far off God, that gets you so far off of thinking that God can break in. For some of us, it's finances. It's a very expensive city to live in. For those of, others of us, it's, it's a job. For some, maybe you want to be married. For others, maybe you want to have a kid. There are these circumstances and these challenges that come in with our life, but God's promise in the midst of all of those circumstances is that he is still God. He is still in charge. And the whole of Scripture reminds us of that fact. The opening of Psalm 24 is a beautiful thing, right? It, it, it reminds us of what we need to be reminded of every single day. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth and all those that dwell therein. See, God knows that we need to be reminded every single day of our lives that he's in charge. But he's not only in charge, he's in charge and he promises us that his light's going to break into our darkness, that he's going to guide us, that he's going to love us, and that if we follow Jesus, we will never walk in darkness. No temptation can ever take us down, no life circumstance can ever take us down, because God promises he will always be with us and God sticks to his word. God is never submitted to your circumstances. God has never submitted to my circumstances. God is not submitted to circumstances, period. So any idea we have of, of human flourishing or abundant life or what you need to be happy, none of those things are ever submitted to our circumstances. Human flourishing doesn't need to have some kind of circumstances to go with it. Happiness doesn't need to have some kind of circumstances to go with it. Nothing in our life that we need to be happy, to be fulfilled, to have an abundant life, other than what? Jesus, a relationship with our Heavenly Father through the personal work of Jesus Christ, the holy triune God relating to us on a daily basis. God promises that all of our happiness, all of our fulfillment, all of the abundance, all the human flourishing, that the truest thing about us is what he says is true about us. And he says he's called us to live with him and he's called us to live for him. And that is the governing reality of our life. We don't need anything else. It's an incredible thing, but we forget every single day. And so God reminds us through his word every single day that we need to be brought back to this truth. It's not just about having information. It's about what you do with the information. It's about applying what you know to be true about God, applying what you know to be true about you. And so in the midst of darkness, in the midst of chaos, what do you know is true? That light's going to break through. That the light has broken through in the personal work of Jesus Christ and the darkness has not overcome it and the darkness will not overcome it. Light shines, that's the promise, but it needs to go from a head knowledge to a deep heart trust so that we can live knowing that God is always with us without fail. Second here, any true encounter with Jesus Christ cannot leave you unchanged. Jesus Christ is the absolute culmination of the light breaking into the darkness. The light shines into the darkness in the world, but the light shines into the darkness of your life and of my life, and we can never be the same. The promise in the opening chapter of John is that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Look at these opening verses. Speaking of Jesus, 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into this world. That's Jesus. He broke into this world to shine a light and to teach us what it looks like to be image bearers of God, redeemed and renewed through his work. Everything that Jesus has done, all of his ministry, is so that we can be transformed. And so it's not enough to just learn some things about God. It's not enough to just come to church. It's not enough to just make an affirmation. These words that I'm reading to you this morning, these words that you read every time you open this word, they have power. It's not just information. It's information that demands a transformation. God is always not going to just give you data. God is always going to give you information, content, verses for the purpose of transformation. We encounter the light and it transforms us. Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul teaches us the same thing. For at one time you were, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So many verses like that in the Bible that tell us that when we encounter Christ, he transforms us absolutely every time. And we are image bearers of God. We know this from the entire teaching of Scripture. We're image bearers of God that we're designed to live with God and designed to live for God. In essence, we reflect the character and the nature of God to this world that doesn't know him. And so when the light shines on us, it transforms us and makes us able to show the world what God looks like. To show the world what love looks like. To show the world what God is doing in it. Again, it's not about having information. It's about the transformation that the light brings. It brings us the life of Jesus Christ. God gives us his light, his life, through the personal work of Jesus Christ. That is where true power comes from. True power does not come from just knowing your stuff. It doesn't come from just knowing doctrine. Now, I love doctrine. I love teaching about the Bible. I love learning about the Bible. I've given most of my adult life to studying, right? I've done graduate degrees. I've done stuff. So I'm not saying here that doctrine is not important. But what I'm saying to you is far more important is that you take that doctrine, you take that truth, you take that life, and you let it transform your life. God doesn't give a rip in the end of the times what you knew. God wants to know what you did with what you knew. We see this over and over again. This is the thing that blows my mind. Think about the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's the, it's the prayer of Jesus for his disciples then and for all those that would follow him into the future. And he prays towards the end of that prayer three different times that, that we would know him more deeply and be united with the Father and the Son through the work of the Spirit. He's praying that. But he tells us that the fruit of that is going to be greater unity and love with all your brothers and sisters in Christ. Unity so strong that the world would know that he was sent. How does Christianity function in our world today? So often we use our doctrine, we use our knowledge to divide from others. So often we use what I know to, to establish why I'm superior to him or to her and, and, and why my church is the best and their church isn't quite the best, Right? No, what is the only fruit of knowledge? The only fruit of knowledge is love and unity with the, with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and love and unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it is. 
it makes no sense for it to be anything else. And so you cannot claim, I believe this so strongly that I hate this person over here. I believe this so strongly that I'm going to divide from this person over here. Now we have differences and we need to take those differences seriously a lot of times, but we never move away from love. What what do we learn in 1 Corinthians 13? If you have all these great and amazing things, you can do all these great and amazing things, but you have not love, what are you? Clanging cymbal, resounding gong, you're empty, you're nothing. Love is the primary fruit of the light of God coming into our lives and transforming us. It has to go from our head into our hearts and then affect the way that we live. Man, did we see a powerful demonstration of that in Charleston. Our brothers and sisters in Christ over there, I was brought to tears. If you have not seen the video or listened to it, you need to do that today. The families of those that were brutally gunned down by a hateful, hateful man with all kinds of racial bias and prejudice and and evil in his heart, those families stood up and they forgave him. It's incredible. I don't know that I could forgive someone that gunned down my family. And if you read these words, they are so incredibly powerful to read. I I tried reading them in a sermon a couple weeks ago and barely got through the sermon, so I'm not going to read them to you today. But they're basically telling this guy that we invited you into our home, we invited you into our hearts, we sat around the table, and you gunned down our closest friends, some of the most incredible people we've ever known. But I want you to know that Christ's work is sufficient, and I forgive you in Christ. And my prayer is that you would come to know Christ yourself. Isn't that amazing? That is, we, we can debate all we want about the teachings of, the, of the, the Methodist Episcopal Church, right? You can debate them all day long about whether you think this point of doctrine is right or that point of doctrine is right. But what I can tell you is they get Jesus more fully and more transformationally than almost anybody I know. They've seen the fruit of forgiveness. And then think about that. This is what uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. What God wants to have happen in our lives is that the light of Christ would break into the darkness of our own hearts and the darkness of this world so powerfully that what we would end up doing is reflecting to this world his heart for this world. And his heart for this world is love and forgiveness and a desire for relationship. Broken image bearers of God need to know God's love and redemption. And so what we need to have in this city is not just every point of doctrine correct, though that is important, What we need to do is be transformed by the gospel, transformed by the personal work of Jesus Christ to the point that we have nothing but love and forgiveness in our hearts. Again, going back to the Charleston example, more transformation took place through that example of forgiveness in the South against the Confederate flag, against all these symbols of hate, than all manner and hours and decades of debate have ever done, right? A simple, powerful, and profound demonstration of love is what overcame all kinds of evil and hatred. Overcame centuries of evil and hatred. Isn't that incredible? What could happen in your neighborhood? What could happen in your workplace? What could happen in our city if we took seriously what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ and let that light, let that love transform our hearts and then reflected God's heart of love to our coworkers, reflected God's heart of love to our neighbors, reflected God's heart of love to really anyone that God puts in our path. Incredible transformation is what God does with his light, and God wants to use us. Christ is our past, our present, and our future. He's transforming us. He will always be with us, but the reason we're still on this earth is because he's going to use us. So point three here, the light of Christ continues to break into the darkness through what? 
true followers of Jesus Christ. There's this incredibly mysterious statement to me in the Gospel of John when Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you. But it's better for you when I go because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in my place and he's going to empower you. Think about that statement that he's making. In what universe is it better that Jesus isn't by our side? But what he's promising us is that our ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit as he spreads us throughout the ends of the earth is going to be more powerful and more extensive than his earthly ministry was. That he's going to continue to do his work through us. So it's better that he is not physically present with us because he is present with us in spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit. And everywhere we go now, he goes with us. So that as we're walking in the light, as he is in the light, the world sees and hears and knows what it means to be in Jesus Christ. This is part of the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In, in Acts 13, it says this. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, that God's people were never intended just to have the light come into them and transform them and make them more loving for no good end or no good purpose. God's people were always designed to have that light break in on their darkness, to be radically transformed, and then to go to the ends of the earth, to be sent as Christ was sent to accomplish the mission that Jesus Christ was sent to accomplish, to bring salvations to the end of the earth. This is how Jesus does it in John 30 and John 8. He tells us this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, his light, his life, his truth sets us free to love and to follow him. God is not after us just, just putting on some external behavior and learning how to be a Christian. What God is promising us is that actually he is going to supernaturally and radically transform your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's already happened. And that because he supernaturally transformed your heart, streams of living water will now flow forth from your heart into this world. Again, Christianity is not about putting on a culture. It's not about just coming to church on a Sunday. It's about being radically transformed by the truth of who Jesus Christ is, so much so that you cannot help but have an impact in your workplace. You cannot help but have an impact in your neighborhood. You cannot help but have an impact through your life. Not because you're anything great or wonderful or because you learned some special evangelism technique, but because the light and the love of God has so powerfully transformed you that it quite literally pours out of you into this world. If we know the truth of Jesus Christ, and if we meditate on that and allow it to transform us, the promise of Jesus is that we're set free. What are we set free from? We're set free from darkness. We're set free from sin. We're set free from lies. The world believes that they can be fulfilled just by pursuing every sexual pleasure that they want to pursue. The world believes that they can be happy and fulfilled by just having a few more dollars, having a larger bank account, having a better CV or resume. The world believes all kinds of empty lies. Empty lies that, if we're honest, we once believed fully, and some of us still believe partially at least, right? God wants to set us free from that. He wants to set us free so that we can love and serve him. And he wants to set us free by shining light in our hearts and helping us to see that he wants to fully and finally transform us so that he can not only have us be in close relationship to him, but so that we can bring his love and his hope to people that are in this world. Now, we're not saying that, that once you get transformed, that light's going to pour out and somehow kind of goes forth from you, and anyone that comes into your beam is radically transformed instantaneously, right? We do a, 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 they do a sermon preparation time on Thursday afternoon, and Dave Dealey believed that, so we had to talk through it a little bit. <laughs> Dave said, isn't it like in those, those cartoons where, like, you swallow the flashlight and it just kind of comes out of your belly? 
And we said, no, Dave, that's not what it's like. <laughs> no, Dave was very helpful. Anyway, so what we're not saying is that we're triumphalists and just say that if you just believe it, that everything's going to be transformed around you. But we're not pessimistic either. We believe that the light and the life of Jesus Christ has a transforming impact in this world. We believe it first and foremost because we've seen it in our own lives. And so when we look out, we don't look with eyes of flesh, as 1 Corinthians tells us. We don't see people as the world sees them. We see them as, as broken image bearers like ourselves that desperately need redemption and renewal. And we know that the power of Jesus Christ can do that, right? And so we have hope that God can and will transform people that we could not possibly believe that he'll transform. Because he began that work with us. John Stott, in speaking about this, says this. The light is to shine in the darkness. It is to be set upon a lampstand, and it is to give light to the environment. That is an influence on the environment quite different from mere survival. So what he's not saying is, I'm going to transform you. I'm going to give you this radically supernatural transformative light, and it's going to transform you so much that you, you'll be able to just barely keep your head above water in a dark world. That, you know, you have to just, you know, learn how to navigate and not really tell people that you're a Christian and kind of just slowly hide away, right? No, what he's telling you is that light is intended to have a transformative impact. Now, we want to have wisdom. There's persecution for, for righteousness' sake, and there's persecution because you're an idiot. They're different. <laughs> we need to learn how to go and, and, and rightly communicate to people in a way that's intelligible to them who Jesus Christ is and why it matters to their lives. So that, that we need to meditate on more deeply. But God's promise to us is not that we're going to hide it away. It's that old silly Sunday school song, right? Like, hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. It's a silly song, but it's a great principle. And again, it doesn't mean that you go into work and you're wearing this Bloods for You t-shirt or you, you know, put a bumper sticker on your car. It means that God's, God has such a transformative impact in your life that the love of God pours forth from you and enables you to sit with a coworker who's struggling and to hear him out. And it says, is there any way I can come alongside of you? It enables you to open up your eyes in your neighborhood and, and see for the first time maybe that maybe there's some homeless people that are completely lonely and in need. And you can sit down, not give them all your money, but sit down and just talk to them and say, I see you. You're an image bearer of God. And, and, and you become light shining into the darkness in that midst. Light is breaking into the darkness today all over everywhere. Transformation is taking place all over everywhere. And it can be so difficult, I think, at least for me and I'm sure for a lot of us, to see these things in our own context. That's why I'm so grateful God gave our church a partnership with a, a ministry called Hands at Work that does work in eight different nations in, in Africa. We're partnered with a group um, of churches and, and brothers and sisters in Christ that are in rural Malawi. Malawi's in Southeast uh, Africa, and Malawi is one of, the, one of the 10 poorest countries in the world, and we are in the poorest part. So when you're, when you're out there working with these churches, you're literally working with the poorest of the poor. And I've been out there about four times now over the last four years, and about three years ago, I met this young man named Matthews, 19 years old, in this rural, isolated village. And it's a village where, where they're trying to, like, rally the Christians to serve the widows and the orphans. But, man, this was a hopeless and dark place. There was no food. Kids that, that are 13 years old and should be about this tall are about this tall because they're so malnourished. They don't know where their meal's coming from. There's no hope of education. There's a school sort of kind of nearby they can get to, but they don't have money for a uniform, so they have no hope of ever going there. Um... And, and we're sitting there in this village talking to Matthews about his community. Two things were amazing to me. One is how desperately hopeless the, 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 the situation seemed. But two is, Matthews had been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. 
it is completely, it, it'd be abnormal in our country for a 19-year-old boy, a man, young man, to go door to door to his neighbors to love and serve orphans. It's radically unheard of in that part of Africa. In that part of Africa, men don't show compassion because it's just part of the culture. Now that gets worked out for those that are followers of Jesus, but Matthews had been so transformed, he was willing to deal with whatever stigma and whatever came upon him to go door to door and to, to care for his neighbors with what little he had and to rally all the other believers in the community to try to care for these neighbors. And so Matthews took me to meet two young boys that were 11 and 7 at the time. Jim McKeso was one of them, this other one's name was David. And again, these boys are 11 and 7 and they look like they're 7 and 3 because of malnourishment. And these boys were being cared for. Their parents had both passed away. They were being cared for by their elderly grandmother who was so sick she couldn't go and fetch water. And they didn't even have their own little mud hut to live in because that had been washed out by the rains. And so a neighbor was letting them sleep in the front of their 12-foot by 12-foot mud hut. These kids were literally hiding in the shadows, completely dressed in rags, eyes downcast, and, and no hope. We sat there with Matthews as he was trying to minister the hope of Jesus and, and promise that God was going to bring hope. And I'm sitting there just trying not to burst into tears. And we leave this little village of Kawaza that day. And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, I believe that help can come to this village. But it's not going to be in time for those two boys. And that breaks my heart. And thinking like, what, what you know, Hands at Work does a brilliant job. They, they, they come in, they help churches rally together to form a volunteer-based organization. These are people slightly above the starvation line, serving people below the starvation line. These are people laying down their lives quite literally for their neighbors. They can't even feed their own kids, but they're going out to try to gather food to feed orphans that are near them. Incredible work. These people are uh, unbelievable to be, to be able to spend time with. But I'm thinking, that takes time. There's no way that you can rally this fast enough to get this going enough to provide any hope for those two boys. This last May, so just a couple months ago, I was back into Kawaz in the same village. Met Matthews now, he's a few years older. And Matthews wants to take me back to, me, to see Jim McKeso and David. And I'm thinking the worst, right? Matthews doesn't really speak great English. We're working through a translator. So I'm thinking, I don't even want to go. I mean, I'm surprised these boys are still alive, to be honest with you. And I'm, and I'm going back and I'm walking through and just praying, God, please, 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 show me your work. Show me, show me. But I'm, I'm in fear, if I'm honest with you. And we get there, and we're, we're greeted joyfully by the grandmother, who had previously been too sick to even fetch water, but now she's healthy. And these boys are dressed in school uniforms, and they're in school, and a brand new hut has been built for them. Why? Because Matthews is a light shining in the darkness. And Matthews did not stop going door to door to rally Christians to serve their neighbors until this family was helped. Jim Bacaso's name in, in Chichua in the local language there means hope. Can you imagine naming your child Hope in the middle of a desktop situation like that? Incredible to see. And what happened was light shining in the darkness in the midst of there. These are ordinary, slightly above the starvation line Christians that were so moved to, to build a community-based organization and did it in record time to be able to provide two meals a day, school uniforms, and more importantly, the love and the hope of Jesus Christ to these kids. So they're in school and we're talking to them and, and talking to Jim McKeso and he's 11, or he's, uh, what is he, 13 now. And we're asking him, you know, what do you want to do? What are your hopes? What are your futures? This is a kid that had no hope, wouldn't even look in the eye just a couple years ago. He says, I'm going to be a doctor. And one of the guys asks him, what's going to stop you from doing that? He says, nothing's going to stop me. And more importantly, they ask him, why do you want to do that? He says, because I want to come back in the same com to this community and help people in the way I've been helped. Asks his younger brother, he wants to be a teacher. Why does he want to be a teacher? Because he wants to help kids in his exact situation. And then we got on to talking about Jesus is when these kids really started teaching me some lessons. 
So we get on talking about Jesus, and for me and in the Western world and for most of us, it's kind of like almost what I just took, through, took you through in my sermon, where you get it in your head, and then it kind of drops down to your heart, and then you walk it out in your life, and it's this process. For these kids, when we start talking about what they believe about Jesus and who Jesus is, Jesus is an abiding daily reality to them. So we asked them, who is Jesus to you? And they kind of looked at us confused, and they're like, what do you mean? He's the one that's with us every day. When we're sick, we pray to him. When we're hungry, we pray to him. When, when, when we need help of any kind, we pray to him. He's a daily reality for us. It's incredible to see light shining in the darkness in the middle of Malawi in, in beautiful and wonderful ways. And so when I come back here, it builds my faith for my own city. If you can imagine, I mean, especially if you have relatives that live outside of San Francisco, everyone would describe San Francisco as this dark place, right? Modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. So if you can imagine like the 7x7 seven seven that is San Francisco as one kind of dark mass of chaos and darkness, but now imagine this, in the midst of that darkness, boom, a ray of light comes forth. Right here where we're meeting in this building is light breaking into darkness in the life of our city. There's no darkness here. There's the light of Jesus Christ. There's the, the power of Christ's love transforming your hearts as I speak through the power of his Holy Spirit right now. Everywhere in this city that a church is meeting right now is boom, light breaking into darkness. Where your home is, be an apartment, a house, wherever it is, is light breaking into darkness. Where every single follower of Jesus Christ lives in the city is light breaking into darkness. Imagine that in your mind. You see this dark map and you see every Christian you know, every church you know, every follower of Jesus everywhere in the city, boom, light breaking into darkness. Where old school cafe is down at Hunters Point Bayview, light breaking into darkness. Again, how light does the city get? We do not live in a city that is dark and hopeless. We live in a city where the light is shining forth. This isn't a city of darkness. It's a city where light's breaking into the darkness, where every single follower of Jesus Christ is, and the light is breaking into darkness, and can the darkness ever overcome it? No. Now, it's not for us to go triumphalistically living and saying, I'm going to conquer all. No, but what it is is to say is I believe that the power of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ is so strong, he's not just going to sustain me here. I'm going to thrive here. And I'm not just going to thrive here for myself. I'm going to thrive here in a way that transforms the lives of those that are around me. You're not in your office that you work in by accident. You're not living in your neighborhood by accident. You don't know the people you know by accident. Everyone that you know, you know because light is going to break into the darkness of their lives. That's the truth and that's the promise of God's word. I am so tired and done with hearing San Francisco is a city of darkness. Our city's got challenges, absolutely. But aren't all of you testimony to light breaking into the darkness? Amen to that, right? We don't live as hopeless. We don't live as downtrodden. We don't hide in the shadows. Why not? Because the light and the love of Jesus Christ has powerfully broken through in our lives, and it can powerfully break through absolutely everywhere we go. We need to understand this at a deep level. God is working, and he's working powerfully, and his work is not done in the city. Each and every one of us needs to go home today and take a look at your neighbors and pray for them. When you go into work tomorrow, take a look at your coworkers and pray for them. Pray that God would help you to see and understand what it looks like for his light to shine in you and then shine in the lives of every single person around you. We have incredible hope. Let me read Christ's words one more time to us. And let's take these words to heart and let's leave today desiring to live these words out in the life of our city. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We go forth from here today with the light of life.
God is transforming you. He will continue to transform you. And he's going to transform others through you. Amen? Let's pray.